time, we'll dismiss the children for toddler ministry, those who are going out. If you haven't already gone, looks like they already went. They know more what we're doing than we do. Okay, good to see you this morning. Thank you. Art's good to see me. Pauline, anybody else? Monos boys. So, it's been a while now. We've been in the, our series in Acts. Last week was chapter 26, verses 19 through 23. And when we ended last week, are you with me? When we ended last week, Paul was well into his defense. This is our third week covering it. He was telling that crowd, all those dignitaries, King Agrippa, Bernice, Governor Festus, military men, government leaders, he was telling them about his supernatural encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And although we're uncertain if Paul actually meant it this way, you can never really tell with Paul. It was a clear in-your-face to those who had referred to Jesus as that dead man. Paul was asserting that dead man Jesus, he's very much alive. No doubt. And Paul said, I met him. That dead man Jesus, that man the Jews are saying is dead and that his body was stolen, he didn't raise from the dead. Paul said, I met him. I know him. He speaks to me. Hopefully that's your testimony today. You've met Jesus. You know him. And he speaks to you. It's not just to the elite few of his people that Jesus speaks. My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. Hopefully you have met him. It's the difference between e eternal life and death. So hopefully you met him. Hopefully you know him. And hopefully he speaks to you and you speak to him. Moving forward, we're going to finish up chapter 26 today. Maybe some good news for some of us. Maybe some bad news for some of us. We only have two more cha chapters in Acts. Good news for anybody? Bad news for anybody? Two more chapters. We're finished Acts. So today, though, we'll finish up chapter 26 of Acts and... Regina, if you will come to the mic, the rest of us will stand. And Regina's going to read Acts 26, 24 through 32. Okay. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are not out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning 
is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe that the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose that, and... That, was it to 32? Yes. Okay. Yep. Good. Very good. The king rose and with him governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. They left the room and while talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now we're good. Thank you. It was up to 32. Thank you. you may be seated. Good job, Regina. So today's title is Almost Persuaded, and the format is the same as has been. Exegesis, commentary, scripture application. Today, again, we want to learn a, that's singular, a theological truth that will strengthen our faith, and it's absolutely necessary for us. When we're telling others about Jesus, this is essential truth. And we need to become completely convinced. We need to be fully persuaded of what we're going to share today. There can be no compromise. Are you listening? There can be no compromise on this truth. Some things, there's a little bit of wiggle room. There can be no compromise on this particular truth. None. No gray. Black and white. She agrees. That was her amen. Thank you, Presley. I'm talking. She's talking. God's talking. This is great in here today. Amen. So Acts 26, 24. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Festus had heard enough, the Roman governor. Festus had heard enough. Too much about dead man being alive, dead men raising from the grave. He had enough of this nonsense. Paul, you're insane. You've gone crazy. Your brilliance, your learning has driven you crazy. Paul, you're whacked. So they thought Paul was whacked. You know, they may say that about us today. When we radically live 
when we live erratically abandoned to Christ, life for Christ, fool out for Jesus, like Paul and many others have, some are going to think we've lost it. Some are going to think we're whacked. I know, though, some of you out there are like, so what? Let them think it. We are whacked. Earthly speaking, we are totally whacked out. And most of us in here at least don't care. I don't care. Do you care, Deborah? No, you don't care one bit, do you? What they think. She is whacked. Deborah's whacked. So listen, if that should happen to us, and people begin to think, or people think of us, we're whacked, know this, we're in very good company. It happened to the best, not only to Paul here, but it happened to another. Mark 3.21, when his, speaking of Jesus, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. This is Mary, his mother. These are his brothers. They thought Jesus was insane. They thought Jesus was out of his mind. They thought Jesus was whacked. So if they think you're whacked, you're in good company. Here's a practical thought for us that unfortunately is true. Family are sometimes the worst to reach because they know you the best. Jesus' mother and his brothers did not believe in him. They thought he was insane. They wanted to have him committed. Folks you love the most may be the ones who harass you the most when you live for Jesus because they know you. When Deb and I got saved back in January 16th, on January 16th, 1980, yep, 1980, 43 years ago plus, I can remember it like it was yesterday, but when we got saved, we told our families. We were all excited about this. I told my dad, and my dad said, if that's true, get out and stay out. And he disowned us. He actually tried to take our daughter away from us and raise her because we had come to Christ. Folks you love the most may be the ones who harass you the most when you live for Jesus. Understand now, the family of Jesus, they were not yet believers here in Mark 3. But the good news is, they became believers. Probably sometime after the resurrection. People raising from the dead can do that to you. Can change the way you think, you know. We know they became believers. Because they were gathered with the disciples in the upper room at Pentecost. The apostles returned to Jerusalem. They all met together, and they were constantly united in prayer, along with who? Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. 
That story had a good ending. And of course, you know the story here. It was at this time that the Holy Spirit came upon those gathered, the event we call Pentecost. The church as we know it in the New Testament was born at this time when they were gathered in the upper room constantly in prayer. But our point here is simply to say that not too long ago, back in Matthew 12, his family was trying to have Jesus committed. Now they've become wholly committed to Jesus. Are you out there? Are you with me today? His family was trying to have him committed. Matthew 12, Acts chapter 2, they become fully committed to him. To live for him. Filled with the spirit. Spirit filled. Spirit empowered believers. His mother and his brothers who not too long ago wanted to remove him from the public arena. I guess you know this, but just an FYI, two of Jesus' brothers wrote books of the Bible. They went from being unbelievers to authors of two books of the Bible. Anybody know what books they are? James and Jude. Here's a word for you. Don't give up on your loved ones. If they're still above ground, there's a chance. If they're still breathing air... There's a chance, no matter how opposed they may seem to be now. No matter how impossible it may seem now. Told you about my dad the story. Get out and stay out. How long were we out, Deb? Maybe my mind gets fuzzy six weeks, six months. Before my brother and sister talked him into allowing us to come around again. But at that time, dad said, you may come for their sakes, and they, didn't really, they weren't really sympathetic that we came to know and live for Christ. They just knew that in the 1980s, Dad, you don't persecute people for their religion anymore. That's what they told him. So he said, we can come around. But he said, you don't talk about spiritual things when you come around here. That killed me because I wanted to talk to my mom about the Lord, and she died, and I never really had the chance I wish I would have had. But my dad, that's the story of my dad. Here's the sequel. My dad contact, contracted cancer, and I was at the hospital the night they told him there was nothing more they could do for him. Uh, get your house in order. We're going to send you home because death is imminent. And my dad was mad. My dad was agitated in that bed. I don't know. I guess he wasn't sure what to do or how to handle that news, but he was not pleasant to be around and really Sometimes he wasn't pleasant to be around. And so I just left the hospital room that night. That was Thursday. I went back in Saturday. I thought, he doesn't really want me to come, but I'm going in. And when I went in, I found a completely different man. Not a different individual. A different man laying in that bed. And I said, Dad, something has changed since Thursday night. I didn't think I'd get this emotional, but I said, something has changed. You're different. You're peaceful. You're, like, not agitated. And he said, after you left Thursday, Billy Graham came on the television. 
He said, when he offered that invitation to accept Christ, I did. I don't know how long we had with him before he died, but Deb and I would go up and read scripture to him and pray with him. Completely different man. Don't give up on your loved ones. No matter how opposed they are to you or how impossible it is. If you pray for them and you just live the life before them, God will reach them. You don't have to. All right, enough said about that. Let's move on. We're back in this scene where Paul's giving his witness, his defense, his testimony, really. Paul said, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly or confidently. For I am sure these events are all familiar to him. They were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. During Festus' outcry, Festus is saying, Paul, you're insane. You're crazy. King Agrippa remains silent. You don't hear from him. Possibly because he knew Paul was telling the truth. Remember, Paul was glad that King Agrippa was the the judge or the one that was going to hear his case because King Agrippa was thoroughly familiar with all the events surrounding Jesus of Nazareth. He was thoroughly familiar with the growth of the Christian movement. He would have known of Paul in his terroristic days, and he would have known of the changes that came over Paul. Those things were widespread in that area. Grippa was also very well acquainted with the Jewish scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings. And Paul knew, Agrippa knew. Now, Paul, this is a lesson for us. Paul is pressing for King Agrippa to acknowledge this truth. Paul is pressing King Agrippa in front of all these people to embrace it for himself. That's brilliant, Paul. That's brilliant. Trying to lead King Agrippa to Christ with your defense, with your testimony. Hoping to convert King Agrippa to Christ, to become a believer, to become a Christian, right there in that setting. No intimidation ever for the Apostle Paul. And some must say, well, I don't really want to share Christ, I don't really want to offend them or anything. You know, what if, what if they don't really like it that I'm sharing Christ with them? Don't want to offend them. We said it last week. If you had a cure for cancer, would you care if they were offended or not? Your loved ones? If they had cancer and you had the cure, would you care? They have a disease worse than cancer. It's sin. It ends you in the lake of fire. And yet we don't really want to tell them about Jesus. We might offend them. They might not receive it. They might actually laugh at us. Paul, in this arena, pomp and circumstance, Festus is trying to shut it down. So Paul quickly focuses right, you can imagine, eyeball to eyeball, Paul and King Agrippa. What about you? Paul blocked everything else out. What about you? You know this is true. What are you going to do with it now? My own opinion, 
Paul was more interested in getting King Agrippa saved than he was his own freedom. He didn't really care what happened to him. He wanted King Agrippa to get saved. You can tell by his answer. Now Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Agrippa knew exactly what Paul was up to. And he's almost persuaded. Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, a Christian, except for these chains. I'm not wishing that you would be in prison for it. Paul unabashedly replies, he does not hide it. Not only you, King Agrippa, I want everyone here to get saved. I want everyone here to come to Jesus. I want everyone here to be fully persuaded to become a follower of Christ. God wants all of you to come to Christ. God is not willing that any should perish. Just because God takes a stand against evil and evil men, and he does, in his heart, the ideal is always salvation. Anything God does, whether it's blessing or judgment, is to draw people to himself. Everything he does, whether it's blessing or judgment, is out of love. And it's concerned for human souls. God wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, his sister, and all the others stood and left. They, as they went out, they talked it over. And they agreed, man, this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. They talked it over, almost persuaded. Paul had them thinking about it. Paul had them talking about it. But darn, not at this time. You felt that frustration, haven't you? You thought a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, family member, that person that you invited to church, that person you suggested they talk to your pastor? You thought they were almost there. You thought they were almost persuaded. You thought they were going to take that step. Then the moment passes, they walk away without coming to Christ. I want to tell you something. There's no greater heartbreak for us and for God. God understands your pain. God feels your pain in this. Many of us have children. Our hearts are breaking for them. We're just not sure if they really have that saving relationship with the Lord. God feels your pain, or we probably should say the opposite is true. You're feeling his pain. You're feeling his heartbreak when someone seems like they're going to take that step and, uh, darn, not at this time. Almost persuaded. And unfortunately, it's unclear if any of these folks, Festus, Bernice, Agrippa, others that have been mentioned throughout this, this whole 
narrative of Paul, it's unclear if any of them ever did come to Christ. I couldn't find any historical record on it. Most biblical scholars feel they did not. They were almost there, the window of opportunity. They walked away, the window of opportunity shut, and they perished. They ended up in the lake of fire. We don't know that 100% certain, but there's no evidence the other way. But it wasn't on Paul to make them get saved. It's not on you to make anybody get saved. It's only on you to tell them about Jesus. So there's some good news here at the end. At least they're going to grant his request to get to Caesar. And you know what that means, right? Guess what happens next week at the beginning of chapter 27. Paul sails for Rome. Cheers and hallelujahs and amens. Paul actually sails for Rome next week. That's the end of today's exegesis. I want to move into the application. I want to teach us, I want us to hear an important theological truth of which we, believers, followers of Jesus, we need to be completely convinced of this. We need to be fully persuaded of this. Not almost persuaded. We need to be fully persuaded. Now, there's many truths like that. But in my opinion, this is the granddaddy of them all. This is the truth we have got to know as God's people, Jesus' followers. This is the most important one. This is the truth where all cults, without, without exception, all cults err on this truth. All, without exception, all false religions err on this truth. We don't want that to be us. We want to know the scripture. So here's the important truth. Jesus is God. The doctrine is the, theo the, de the theological truth is Jesus is God. The doctrine is the deity of Christ, which simply means Jesus is God. If you hear anybody talking high theological terms about the deity of Christ, all they're saying is Jesus is God. He is God. He wasn't trying to be like God. He wasn't trying to imitate God. He wasn't trying to just teach us about God. Jesus is God. You say, well, man, why are you hitting that so hard, Pastor? Because you're going to get hit hard out there when you try and tell people that. You would be amazed. Or should I say appalled? at the number of professing believers in the church that are not convinced of this or that don't know this truth. Jesus is God. Most folks in the world, and unfortunately many in the church, have some other opinion of who Jesus is. Even many who profess to be saved by Jesus don't fully understand this, don't know this. And if the foundation is faulty, whatever you build on top of it is faulty as well. You want to have a solid foundation. This is the solid foundation. This is where you start. Jesus is God. No compromise. No other way. You can choose not to believe it, but you can't deny it, and you can't change my mind about it. 
So there's no debate. Debate would be useless. Yeah, trying to show me some other way, it's useless. Save your breath. Let's sit back and allow the Word of God to convince us of this truth. Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God himself is with us. She, Mary, will have a son. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. She, Mary, will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God himself is with us. At Christmas, we celebrate the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we call him Emmanuel, which means God himself is with us because that is who Jesus is, God with us. Luke 1, 30 to 32. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Luke 1, 34 through 35. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. There would be huge theological implications if he was. We'll talk about that some other time. But Joseph, who then married Mary after Jesus was born, was not his biological father. It was the Holy Spirit who conceived Jesus. God is Jesus' father, which gives Jesus his divine nature. Psalm 2-7. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Acts 13, 33. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. John 1.14 So the Word became human and made His home among us. Jesus. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John 1, 17 and 18. 
God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique Son, Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. John 14, 8 through 10. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, then we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, this is so powerful. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human king. Born as a human being. He also is a king. Romans 1, 3 and 4. The good news regarding his son Jesus, who as to the flesh, his human nature, was born a descendant of David, born of Mary, a woman, to fulfill the covenant promises. And as to his divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, was openly designated to be the son of God with power. John, 1 John 5.20. This is the last one. We know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. The deity of Christ. Jesus is God. Are you fully convinced? Let's stand. Bob Klein, if you're here. Make you walk further. Yeah. So just some instructions as we prepare to move towards a close. Bob's going to pray. And when Bob has finished praying to close the message, there's been a request for the elders' anointing of, of prayer, uh, for prayer of healing. So when Bob has finished praying, those involved in the anointing, if you'll just come forward, and then the band will take us out with worship.
Okay. Bob. Father God, I'm kind of without words right now. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Father, for um, in your wisdom, knowing we need a Savior that was both God and human, that your son Jesus fulfilled both those, those roles. He gave us an example that that because of who he is, we can uh, come to you and we can have the hope of living a life that is deserving of you as our Father. He was given all authority on heaven and earth. He passed that authority on to us and to use in his kingdom, and and I thank you for that. Because of that, because of the authority he has given us, and the fact that we have claimed his son Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can all, in all confidence and boldness, declare Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Savior, our healer, our comfort, and so many other things. Because he came from the Father, because he obeyed the Father. So, I just, Father, I just want to praise you. I want to worship you. We want to give you thanks. We want to claim that there's no name on earth above the name of Jesus. And it's in that name that we um, lay ourselves before you. And I just praise you and thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.